Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wise men follow him. They rose again. Wise men follow him. Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscience of Maine. Broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, 88.1 FM in Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. Today is January 16th. 2015, and there is a whole lot going on in this world. Gas price is 197 in West Paris. Gas price is $2.60 in Santa Gat. 63 cents difference. But nobody's going to drive up to down to West Paris to, to tank up. But if you happen to be passing through, that's the place to do it. Diesel is 270. 79 in Waterboro, and the diesel price is 269. Excuse me, 369 in Scarborough. So there's a there's a dollar ten difference. Oh, excuse me, 90 cents difference. Anyway, uh, regarding oil, there's a lot going on in the oil business. Price of crude has dipped below 50 dollars a barrel. It's got down to 47, and it bounced up to a little over 50. I don't know what it is this morning, but it's around $50 a barrel. It's been up to $140 a barrel, so this is good for people that refine oil, people that buy oil, people that uh, buy gasoline and diesel, home heating oil, jet fuel, aviation, gasoline, and Vaseline, or whatever comes out of it. Uh Propane, butane, methane. Methane comes from natural gas, but as the price of oil goes down, in order to compete, natural gas has to come down. So the environmentalists are tearing their hair out because people are going to go out and buy SUVs and Humvers and uh, big boats and all kinds of stuff. Now, this is not a fluke. This is something that's been coming. And we are self-sufficient on petroleum. Now, it's convenient due to transportation costs to to move oil into our country from from Venezuela, for example, or Colombia. And Mexico, Mexico has mismanaged their oil resource. And Pemex is their national oil company. Just about everything in Mexico is nationalized. And all the big businesses, anyway. 
Pemex has mismanaged their their oil resources, and uh, they're not able to to meet their own needs anymore. They're importing oil, but the price is down, so they don't need to reform their management practices. Saudi Arabia is scared silly about Islamic terrorists up across the border in Syria, and there's a whole bunch of them. There's a bunch of different Islamic terrorists, and I'll get into that a little later. But I know some oil executives, and uh, on a casual basis, you know. And one of them thinks that oil is going to be in the high 30s, $30 a barrel this spring. And it's going to stay down there for a little while, and then it gradually is going to increase over the next three years back up to about $80 a barrel because of the cost. Now, of course, this benefits the consumer. <clears throat> it benefits people that refine oil and sell oil because they can make just as much more money. If they get it for a cheap price, they can make just as much profit at $30 a barrel, $38 a barrel, as they can at $108 a barrel. So it's a good thing for them. The only people that it's hurting are the drillers. They're not drilling as much. And they're not going back out to western Pennsylvania and west Texas. West Texas crude is the best oil. It's low sulfur oil, and it's the benchmark of quality and price for world's oil supply. West Texas crude is, is the, the oil supply price. So those the people, <laughs> Halliburton, uh is uh, Dick Cheney's old company uh, is going to see a little bit of a cash flow problem because they uh, they make a lot of oil drilling equipment and they're not going to be drilling as many oils since since we've got an oil glut in the world uh, they aren't going to be drilling as many oil wells they're not going to be selling as much as many uh, oil drilling rigs and oil drilling parts. And, oil drilling tubes, the pipes that go way down on the ground and drive that drill bit two miles down. And they're not going to be fracking as much. But we now know how to do it. And we can't keep a lid on it. We're not good at keeping secrets. I mean, we we gave, we allowed the Red Chinese to come in and and steal the plans for our F-22 stealth fighter. And they built one. They've got an F-22. They will outperform our own F-22 in many respects. Because they don't need their F-22 to hover. Now, the idea was for, we'd we'd be able to land it on an interstate highway, refuel and take off again. Because... You know, all airplanes have to refuel, and it's a vulnerable thing. You know, put a crater in the middle of a runway, like Bangor International Airport, for example. You put a great big hole in that runway, halfway down the runway, and guess what? They're shut down. And of course, you have to put one in the taxiway, too. It runs parallel to the runway. But uh, a lot of big aircraft can't land on the taxiway. A lot of pilots need a big, wide runway to land on. And... Uh, you know, I learned, well, I knew it before that, but I, I flew helicopters in the Antarctic. 
And, you know, you don't want to get too far from your fuel supply down there because you just can't drop in someplace else to get fuel. And you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind if the wind picks up, you might not be able to get back to your fuel supply. And the wind does pick up down there. So, you know, you want to keep that real prominent in your in your thinking. Vietnam, there were lots of places to refuel. But you have to understand that some of those places weren't very safe, and some of those places got blown up on a regular basis. So you might plan to go drop in at some hamlet, some little fire support base, where you've got a helicopter pad and a, be- a bladder, a blivet, it will call a great big bag of fuel laying on the ground. And they pump out of that, and a Chinook would come in and, and uh, fill that back up again. But they, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have enough fuel to get home. It happens. You just sometimes home <laughs> for your base where you're operating out of uh, doesn't have a viable fuel supply. You got to have an alternative. Well, we've got uh, we've got some real, real interesting situations going on in the world. The Saudis think ahead, and they're they're, they're crafty people. Uh, you know, they're they have to plan ahead, and it's in their genes, it's in their nature to be self-sufficient and be prepared. The Saudis are incredibly wealthy today. But there are still Bedouins in in Saudi Arabia who live the old way with their tents and their camels and they wander the desert and they go from oasis to oasis and the Saudi government doesn't interfere with them. And if somebody messes with the Bedouins, what Bedouin uh, elder can request an audience with the king, and he talks directly with the king one-on-one, and the king will straighten this out. They have great respect for their the old-timers who live the old ways. And in this country, you know, I would like to see the people respect the American Indians who have a heritage of strong families and respect their elders. And uh, I know a number of Penobscots and a couple of Passamaquoddies who respect their heritage. And it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Our country is losing that. We've reached a point where half the children in our country live in homes that don't have two parents for whatever reason. I mean, it could be no fault of, of either parent. Uh, dad got killed in the Middle East or, or mom uh, got killed in a motor vehicle accident or whatever. You know, these things happen. But too many of people in our population live in single-parent households by choice. And the kids don't have the benefit of a stable home. When I was a young fella there was a common uh, term that was used. and Some kid would get in trouble or misbehave or something, and the, the elders would say, well, he comes from a broken home. Oh, well, that, that explains it. 
And it does. It did explain it. This kid did not have the role models and the adult supervision that enable him to function at his optimum level in society. And now we've got large portions of our population and some groups who who never lived in a home with two parents. They never never experienced that. We see the effect of that in places like Henderson, Missouri. You know, the, when you've got large numbers of people in that same situation, there aren't any role models. And the role models become gangs. We're seeing that in a worldwide basis, too. You know, all over the world, this society as we have known it and expected it to be for the last few thousand years is unraveling. It's a scary thing. It it is a scary thing to see the world unraveling as it is. So, we uh, we've got a president of the United States here who said that he would stand with the Muslims when push came to shove. And, you know, I believe him. But before we get into that any deeper at this point, the uh, we talked about the oil. And all of these things are interrelated. They're connected. And... If you've been studying this for years, as I have, I uh, I used to go over to the, the John Birch Society bookshop just outside Lakehurst, New Jersey. I was a naval officer and flying helicopters down there and became a test pilot. And, and there was a bookshop, a little country in, a, in the general store, and they had a John Birch Society bookshop in a room out back. And, I used to drop in there and talk with people and good folks. But I was interested. I came, learned about John Birch because John Birch was a, an Army captain in Army intelligence in Red China when Chairman Mao came rolling in and took over the country. Killed a whole lot of Chinese people. And John Birch's parents were missionaries. And they, uh, John Birch was killed by the Red Chinese. He was a he was a U.S. Army officer, and he was the first U.S. Army officer. May, may have been the first U.S. soldier, but I know he was the first U.S. Army officer killed by by the communists. This was around 1946. Don't know the exact date, but right after World War II. And they were chasing the Japanese out of China. Japanese went right into China and they would just brutalize those people. And they brutalized the Vietnamese and they brutalized the Burmese and they brutalized everybody that they encountered. The Philippines. Everywhere they went, they were brutal. And they lost the war and they they had a course change. They said, you know what? Being all that brutal doesn't get us much. Let's not be brutal anymore. And they made that change. It was just a simple management policy decision. Stop being brutal. Wonderful thing. 
But they uh, then the Red Chinese rolled in and and uh, filled that vacuum. So I have uh, mentioned oil, and I'll get back to oil. But before I forget, the weather today is mostly sunny. That little squall comes through, very brief, about a half an hour ago, and it ran right from Madawaska to to Bangor, pretty much a straight line. A little snow squall, that's done. And I can see blue sky, so uh, it, it's going to be sunny this afternoon. Temperature's going to fall to around 12 this afternoon with with this front that just came through. It's here. Wind chills are down at four below. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 10, <clears throat> 10 below. Wind chill factors 28 below. It's going to be kind of breezy out there. You have to button up your vest. Saturday, mostly sunny and cold, high near 5. Wind chills 28 below all day. It's going to be cold out there tomorrow. And you could, If you dress in layers, you can go out there and have a fine time, go snowmobiling, but be prepared. If that snowmobile dies on you, you want to be able to get out of the weather and build a fire, get on the cell phone, and call for help. Nice snowmobile before you had any of that stuff. Saturday night, chance of snow after 4 a.m. tomorrow morning. Increasing clouds, low around 3 below. Wind chills of 12 below. Light and variable wind becoming south around 5 miles an hour. Sunday Chance of snow before 3 p.m. And then rain and snow likely, possibly mixed with sleet. Now, they, I like to read the scientific forecaster comments. And they talk about the European model and the North American model and the, the uh, United States uh, coach and Diodetic survey model. And they kind of consider all of them and they come up with a forecast that they feed to the, the TV weatherman. But I'd like to read the notes that are in there by these forecasters that work for the National Weather Service. And the guys in Caribou are pretty good at it. The guys in gray, down in Gray think more about the ocean. But the guys in Caribou are, are, are pretty good. And they're limited by what their bosses tell them. But if you read the scientific forecaster notes, we are probably not going to get rain Sunday night and Monday. Now, the official forecast says rain and snow for Sunday night, possibly mixed with sleet before 7 p.m., then rain and snow, low around 32. <clears throat> well, they've been told to say rain. They don't think the rain is going to be up here. They think the rain is going to be quite tight to the coast. We could get a lot of snow. Sunday night and Monday. They're saying rain and snow likely Monday before 1 p.m. A high near 37. Light southeast wind. Winds could gust as high as 15. 70% chance of precipitation. Monday night, chance of snow showers with low around 12. And then Tuesday, the chance of snow showers high near 19. That bubble of warm air that says we could come up to 37 degrees, I do not believe is going to come up north of Route 9. I think it's going to stay down on the coast. And I think 
from Route 9 up to Route 6, up to Holton and all the way to Madawaska, I don't think we're going to see any rain. We're going to see sleet. I think we'll see sleet and snow. But this could be a significant snow event. And it's too soon to say, it's too, because it's, we don't know where that line is going to be exactly. But in the back of your mind, if you're going somewhere, plan that you might be into a significant snow event. The Northern Maine landman said that. So I'm looking at a snow depth map. And uh, north and northeast and west of Millinocket, they've got... We had a good snowmobile conditions, first time this year. And over in the western mountains around Sugarloaf, USA, and the high elevations, they got a lot of snow over there, which is good for them. I'd like to see us get a little more snow for Dragon because we lost December for snowmobile. There wasn't any in southern Rustic and northern, northern Penobscot. There wasn't any real snowmobile. When I say real snowmobile, I mean you, you can ride on snow, but until you get the trails groomed and smoothed up, it's not real snowmobiling anymore. I remember riding the ditches with the old land. You know, you ride down the ditch and get up some certain dirt road where they wouldn't arrest you. And you can ride the logging roads. To get from one logging road to the other, you'd have to ride down the ditch because there weren't any trails back in the beginning. Come a long way. We've got a pretty good trail system. I think we've got the best trail system in the Northeast, especially a rustic. I mean, a rustic is is the holy grail of snowmobiling until you get up into Quebec. Now, they really have got a system up there, but you have to join a club, the local club and get a sticker to ride their trails. Just took a, a sip of my coffee here. Okay. There's a couple of people, a husband and wife, who, I'm going to digress a little bit here. Husband and wife down in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Christmas time of 2013, looking at 13 months ago now, uh, they were saddened by the news of injured American troops from the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq. And they they wanted to let them know that they care. Now, this, uh, this couple, Bennett and Vivian Levine, own a railroad car. In fact, they own three railroad cars, very plush, Pullman-type railroad cars, mahogany interiors, the old, the old style. And they own a couple of locomotives, and they've got a garage for their locomotives. I mean, these people have a lot of money. And years ago, the spectators for the Army-Navy football game used to come by train from all over to Philadelphia, where they play the Army-Navy game, same place every year. And they used to come by train years ago, and... The Bennetts said, uh, the Levines rather, said, let's, let's see if we can bring up some people, some, some soldiers, from Walter Reed to the football game. 
let's go down. So he went down, and he met with the general who was in charge of Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And he told him, he said, he'd like to, he'd like to bring some, some troops up to the Army Navy game. And they, uh, he met with Walter Reed's commanding general, and he loved the idea. And Bennett says, "No," he says, "We don't want any press. We don't want this to turn into a media circus." No politicians. I don't want some idiot politician making this trip into a campaign photo op. No Pentagon suits. Soldiers will be too busy saluting their generals to, to relax. He says, I want this to be a, a trip for the troops. And the, the general agreed. And Bennett says, oh, no, no, I can actually do this. So he got on the phone. And he recruited the owners of 15 other plush rail cars from around the country. And these people tend to know each other. They're railroad fans like the old days. And instead of having model air, model trains, you know, they have trains, these people, full-size trains. So they got these 15 other rail cars from around the country to come to Philadelphia. And the name of the train was the Liberty Limited. Amtrak volunteered to transport the cars down to Washington, D.C., where they'd be coupled together, and then back up, and then they'll get them back to their owners. Conrail offered to service the Liberty train while it was in Philly. That means power and fuel. And the Southeast Pennsylvania Transport Authority would bus the disabled soldiers 200 yards from the train track to the football stadium. It's right beside the freight yard there. And a benefactor from the War College ponied up 100 seats at the game on the 50-yard line. And they had lunch in a hospitality suite. And corporate donors filled for free. No publicity. Nobody knew this was going to happen. The corporate donors didn't ask for publicity, but they had goodie bags for the attendees. Woolrich gave them stadium blankets. Walmart gave them digital cameras. Nikon gave them binoculars. Gear gave them warm-down jackets. And it was booty for the soldiers, but not, not just for them. They're guests, too. Each, each man was allowed to bring a friend or a family member to the Army-Navy game. The Marines declined the offer. They didn't want to take any guests with them. They wanted to take more Marines. Bennett's an emotional guy, so he was worried about how he'd react to meeting 88 troops and their guests at D.C.'s Union Station where the trip originated. Some of these GIs were missing limbs, others were wheelchair-bound. Some had to be accompanied by medical personnel for the day. And they made it easy to be with them. They were all smiles on the ride to Philly, not an ounce of self-pity in any of them so full of life and determination. At the, at the stadium, the troops reveled in the game. Not even armies lost to Navy could deflate the group's rollicking mood. Afterward, it was back to the train. Another gourmet meal. Heroes get hungry. 
before returning to Walter Reed, uh, they had this meal. And the day was spectacular, says Levine. It was all about the kids. It was awesome to be part of it. And the most poignant moment for the Levins, or the Levines, was when 11 Marines hugged them. Then they sang the Marine Corps hymn on the platform at Union Station. Levine says, one of the guys was blind. He says, I can't see you, but man, you must be beautiful. It's been five weeks. But the Levines and their guests are still feeling the day's love. My Christmas came early, said Levine, who is Jewish and who loves the Christmas season. Because I can't describe the feeling in the air. Maybe it's hope. Yep. That's what Christmas is all about, hope. So, I say God bless the Levines. It's a remarkable thing. Okay. Now, switch here. I've got a I've got an iPad here. And I switch back and forth between the computer and the iPad. Now talked about oil and the price of oil and I've got some friends who are economists and I'm an amateur economist. I like to study the economy and the effects of the economy and how it affects the average citizen and the person from northern Maine, because this is the Northern Maine Land Man Show, after all. And the Swiss uh, have pulled something. The Swiss are good at this. The Swiss National Bank has capped their rate at $1.20. That's 1.2 francs purchased one euro for the last three and a half years. It was designed to keep the franc a global safe haven asset from appreciating too much against the euro. A stronger franc would hamper Switzerland's exports. Switzerland's exports are cuckoo clocks and firearms. That's what they make. They're good at both. In December, the Swiss National Bank said it would defend the PEG, the fixed exchange rate, with the utmost determination. Just two days ago, the Swiss National Bank Vice President Jean-Pierre Dantien that the peg would remain the pillar of our monetary policy. But guess what? The Swiss National Bank president, this was the vice president that said that. Vice president said the the peg, the Swiss bank, Swiss franc to the euro would be the pillar of our monetary policy. The following day, Swiss National Bank president Thomas Jordan and he wanted to surprise the markets, and it worked. They decoupled the Swiss franc from the euro. The franc soared 39% against the euro, the largest one-day move in a major currency in world history. This just happened. Now, I haven't seen Fox News and looked at the, at the Bloomberg report or any, any financial news this morning. But I think you're going to see a lot of chaos in the financial markets in the next 
few days, and this is Friday, and they've got till 3 o'clock, 3.30, whenever they bang the gavel and ring the bell. I think you're going to see a lot of chaos in world financial markets in the near future, some of which are going to happen today. So, it's good, this gentleman that wrote this, says it's a good reminder to never trust a central banker because the day after they said they were going to stay coupled and it was the pillar of their policy and all of this hogwash, they decoupled it. The euro is going to go down against the Swiss franc, or the Swiss franc is going to rise against the euro. Greece is toast. Don't know what's going to happen in France. I mean, they had three guys, maybe only two guys, who shot up a newspaper office because they printed cartoons of Mohammed, which they've gone and done again. And they printed them again, and they they sold out three million papers, newspapers, in a half an hour. They flew some to the U.S., and somebody put one on on uh, eBay, and the bidding price for that newspaper was up to a thousand dollars. Somebody just wanted one badly. Probably a wealthy guy who might even own a railroad train. But somebody wanted that badly, and he's going to have it. Well, the Swiss know what's going on. The Saudis know what's going on. Saudi Arabia is building a fence between Syria and Saudi Arabia. And they may run it down, partway down along the Jordanian border with Saudi Arabia. It's a 500-mile fence. This is not just some barbed wire fence or some chain-link fence. This fence is five rows of virtually impenetrable. I mean, a tank was not going to be able to go through this fence because they've got cables in it, steel cables. A tank, and they've designed it so if a tank tries to go through it, it will get tangled up. This between the five rows of fence, there's going to be some ditches, deep ditches, and then there's going to be a big high berm of rock and sand whatever they've got there for terrain. The Saudis are scared silly about ISIS, these terrorist butchers who cut children in half and crucify people and behead them on TV and enjoy every minute of it. That's what these people do. The Saudi bureaucracy, the King Saud, and all of his buddies who run Saudi Arabia. It's it's a dictatorship. It's a monarchy who has full authority. You steal something in Saudi Arabia, they'll cut one of your hands off. You steal again, they'll cut the other hand off. That's what they do. They're no-nonsense folks. And we've put a lot of money into Saudi Arabia buying their oil. We fund Saudi Arabia through oil purchases. Well, guess what? We're self-sufficient with oil right now. And they want to put up a fence to be the world's most impenetrable border between Syria and Saudi Arabia. They can afford it. It's going to have a razor wire. It's going to have high-voltage electricity. 
and it's going to have night vision. I mean, it's it's going to be an impenetrable border, just like it's going to be a better border than what we've got around our maximum security prisons. And, of course, the helicopter can fly across it, but they're going to have their own helicopter gunships and Stinger missiles, or like the Stinger. They've got better ones now. But they're going to have a, a well-defended border. We could do that. I served in the Dominican Revolution in, in the Dominican Republic. And we... Uh, the Dominican Republic is a beautiful place. It's tropical. They've got banana trees. They've got plantations. They've got resorts. They've got beaches. Beautiful, clear water. There's no factories down there to pollute the water. In the Caribbean, you can look down and see 50 feet down. And on the other side of the border, of the island of Hispaniola, the west end of it is Haiti. Haiti is 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 uh, populated by a people that believe in voodoo. There are a few Roman Catholics down there, but mostly they believe in voodoo and spirit worship and evil spirits and cast spells on each other. And it has a big somebody casts in Haiti. One person casts a spell on another person. I mean, it just ruins his life. He figures he's had it just under the spell, and and uh, you know. Christians don't worry about spells, but down there in Haiti, they sure do. You're flying along the border between the Dominican Republic and Haiti, and the Dominican Republic has got beautiful trees, forests, waterfalls. It's just a beautiful country. West of that border, which is an absolute straight line, runs north to south, is like a desert. It's got scrub brush, but as soon as a tree reaches the size of a broom handle, they cut that tree and use the stem to make charcoal because most of, most Haitians cook on charcoal. And they make charcoal out of small trees and brush. And that's what they live on. And they've got some estates. There are wealthy people in Haiti, in Haiti just as there are everywhere else. But there's a border. Now, they don't have the same type of border fence that Saudi Arabia is going to build to keep the Syrians and and ISIS out. No. That's not what they've got. They've got a border with just a small fence and a bunch of signs that says, keep out. Why does that work? A Haitian that crosses into the Dominican Republic illegally will find it to be a thoroughly disagreeable experience, and he will not repeat it. And the Haitians know this. Don't do that. You won't like it. Without getting into further details, you put up a sign that says, keep out, and you make it stick. And guess what? People will keep out. We could take lessons from the Dominican Republic on our southern border. So, yeah, I gotta find another screen. 
they had a big event in in uh, France last week. They had three terrorists, two or three terrorists, they're no longer sure, went into a Jewish delicatessen and shot the place up, killed a bunch of people, and at least two of the terrorists were killed. And a lady that they thought was involved was in Syria, not France. She left the country. She was in on the planning, and her common-law husband was killed, but she is not in France. She went to Spain, flew to Turkey, crossed the border into Syria. They could follow people. That's where she went. But you look at the group, and by the way, since they had a few terrorists killed, Obama sent reinforcements. He sent reinforcements out of the country, out of, out of U.S. custody, to the Middle East. Five of the most heinous terrorists in Gitmo were released and sent to the Middle East. I call them reinforcements. I mean, they lost a few terrorists, so they sent reinforcements. Don't think this is a good policy, but they do it. You know, we've been doing it, and one of the biggest groups of terrorists, vigorously growing because they got a lot. Of, they're being funded out of the United States. Is the Somalia's Islamic Courts, which has pledged their allegiance to Al Qaeda. Now we've got Al-Shabaab, we've got the Palestinian Liberation Army, Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, ISIS, which is the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Now, the Muslim in the White House doesn't refer to ISIS, and his press people don't. None of his people in the White House refer to ISIS. They call it ISIL, the Islamic State in Levant. Well, what's Levant? Now, we think of Levant as a town near Bangor, okay? And it was named for, for that, for that area in the Middle East. But Levant is the biblical land between the Nile River and the Tigris River in Babylon at that time. Now it's, it's Iraq. But all the land between the Nile River in the Tigris River is Levant, including Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. Okay? That's Levant. So when you hear Barack Obama stand up and talk about ISIL, I-S-I-L, it's the Islamic State in Levant. And in his mind, Islam should control all of Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. He supports the Palestinian Liberation Army, the PLO organization, PLO, through his words and his policies. And in his book, before he was elected the first time, you could read in his book that if push comes to shove and things begin to unravel, I will stand with the Muslims. That's what he said. He said that. And people thought, well, well, that's nice. Okay, we'll make him president of the United States. And that happened. 
but I'm looking at a map as we as we speak and in the Bible when God made his covenant with Abraham he promised that Israel would rule the land between the Nile and the Tigris River I hope someday that happens because it'll clean up that mess the Israelis don't don't fool around they got Al-Qaeda in Yemen, the Egyptian Islamic Jihad, Qud, Q-U-D, which is the Special Forces of Iran, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, who kidnapped a whole bunch of Christian schoolgirls, sold them into slavery. You got the Islamic courts of Somalia. Now, why does the Islamic courts of Somalia have an effect here? Why do I mention this? Why is the head of the Islamic courts in Somalia being supported by the city council of Portland? This makes sense? Well, there he is. I'm looking at a picture of him. Got his his Islamic skull cap, and the guy's got an orange goatee. And at the Portland International Jetport, there are 45 cabs licensed to serve the Portland International Airport. And out of the 45 cab drivers, 44 are Somalis, and one is Iranian. And there's a cab driver in Portland who worked for the Portland Fire Department for 30 years, retired. He wanted to drive a cab at the airport, and the city council of Portland told him, you can't do that. Why not? He said, because you're not a Somali. What? You have to be a Somali? Well, you can be an Iranian if you want to be, but you have to be a Muslim to drive a cab at the Portland International Jetport. A lady gets off the airplane, born and raised in Maine. The lady is blind. She has a seeing eye dog, which is allowed on an airplane. Comes out of the airport. You can't get in the cab at Portland to go home because to have a dog in the cab is an insult to the Prophet Muhammad. The lady has to go walk off airport property to get a cab that's driven by probably a Christian to take her home. So she's got to walk in the rain from the Portland International Jetport off airport property to take a cab. This is what it's come to in the state of Maine. This is what it's come to. I'm looking at a picture right now of this imam who was head of the Islamic courts in Somalia, with his hat and his orange goatee. I mean, the guy is pretty easy to pick out of a crowd when you're wearing one of these Muslim hats and an orange goatee. And this guy is Abdullah Ugas Farah, okay? And one of the cab drivers lives lives in Lewiston, Okay, on Bartlett Street in Lewiston. 
He's got two wives in Lewiston and three wives in Minneapolis. Because in Minneapolis, Minnesota, they got the same arrangement with Somalis. Because all the Somalis are running, running, the, running the cab operation at Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is a big airport. And this, I saw a picture of this same head of the Islamic courts who supports al-Qaeda and is affiliated with al-Qaeda in Minneapolis. And then there's this guy who's got two wives in Maine and three wives in Minnesota. And these guys commute back and forth between the United States and Somalia. They fly jets back and forth as passengers, breeze right through airport security on both ends, and they're carrying money from the United States to Somalia. The guy with two wives in Lewiston has got a bunch of kids in Lewiston and a bunch of kids in Minneapolis, and they're all being funded by public assistance. The state of Maine, your tax dollars and mine. We can't print money in the state of Maine. It comes out of our tax dollars. Every penny the state government spends comes out of our tax dollars, whether it's income tax, sales tax, gasoline tax, whatever. Fishing licenses, hunting licenses. What's a license? A license is something you pay for. After the government takes away your right to do it, they'll give you a license, and then they'll let you do it again. So if you want to go fishing, you can't go fishing until you buy a license. Same with hunting, driving. All these licenses are expensive. Add them up. A barber's license. A law license. Real estate license. Whatever. They're all expensive. They add to the cost of living and take money out of out of uh, private economy into the state coffers. And some of that money that we give to the state or that they take from us, depending on your point of view, goes to support Al-Qaeda. The system that we have, not a good thing. This guy with the two wives in, I'm looking at a picture of this character, who lived on Bartlett Street in Lewiston, Maine. Looking at a picture of him standing on a hilltop in Syria with an AK-47, pointing at the sky, saying that he loves Muhammad. Well, guess what? This guy from Lewiston was killed in a U.S. airstrike. So now we've got five widows that we're going to be supporting with our tax dollars from Maine and Minnesota. You can't make this stuff up. This is the real deal. This is what's happening in our nation. So we've come full circle here, pretty much. We've got our tax dollars going to support Muslim terrorists. And we've got the Saudis 
scared silly, and they're going to build the world's best border fence. We've got a shovel-ready job going across Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. We could build a fence to keep these terrorists out of our country. They don't care about the fence. They can fly into Port- Portland International Jetport and back out and commute to South to Somalia. You can't make this stuff up. Why doesn't the public see a problem with this? We got a president who refers to ISIL. Nobody else calls this ISIL. These guys came up with a fictitious organization. Oh, we need more money because of this. There's no such organization in the whole world. It's just something they made up. One of the press people down there in the White House. That's not a threat to us. The threat is Muslim terrorism. They're a bunch of butchers. And they've had the first beheading in our country. Somebody took offense at a lady who worked in the same place where he worked in Texas, and he beheaded this lady, and they refer to it as workplace violence. Well, it happened on the job, but this is not work with work, <laughs> workplace violence. This is Muslim terrorism in our country. ISIL. Islamic State in Levant, which includes Israel. That's why you hear Obama talking about ISIL when everybody else is talking about ISIS, which is the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. We've pretty much got Iraq and Syria. Now they want to take over Jordan, and they want to take over Israel. So they figure, the Saudis figure that that the terrorists are going to roll right across Jordan. King Faisal of Jordan is a nice guy. And Jordan is, has been a friend of the United States. And Jordan, you know, and Israel tolerate each other. And you don't hear about any Jordanian ter- terrorists going into Israel. It's Hamas and Hezbollah and the PLO. The PLO has pretty much been taken over by Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, they just they just have uh, power struggles over there. Right now, Hamas and Hezbollah have eclipsed the PLO, but you probably haven't heard the last of the PLO. So we uh, I had one more thing I wanted to cover. I can't get my eye on it. Gonna go look at the. I gotta go to Bangor for medical appointment. Gonna stop at the Longhorn down in Bangor and have a nice dinner, and then we're gonna go see the American sniper, Chris Kyle. And Chris Kyle is credited with having the most kills of any American sniper. And uh, great guy. He was a SEAL, and he was killed.
in a hit at a at a range in Texas. And he and a friend of his were at a range, and they had a guy who said he had PTSD, and Chris was trying to help the guy. And this guy took pulled a pistol, and he shot Chris in the head, and he shot Chris's friend in the head, who was also a former SEAL. And they took him out. Chris was a stand-up guy, great American. We're gonna go. We're gonna go see this. I used to fly seals around. That was my job in the Navy. One of my jobs. And we'd do seal inserts in Vietnam. Put them in. Seal inserts were usually relatively uneventful. Seal extracts, taking them back out of there, were usually kind of hairy because they had a way of really irritating the VC. But uh, after one operation that lasted three days, the seals were jumping around, moving from place to place, and that was my job, moving from place to place. And when it was all over with, they had done some remarkable things. Went over and sat down in a rocket box. The seal team leader came over and sat down beside me and said, you know, other people aren't like us. Yep, he's right. (laughs) Other people aren't like us. There was never a Navy squadron like ours before or since. We've got a whole lot of special operations people, and they're dedicated, and they're strict, and they're orderly, and they're organized, and they need to be able to deal with chaos and adapt very fast to changing conditions. That's part of the specialness of of special operations. But I worked with these guys in Chile, in the Dominican Republic, Panama, and Vietnam, and Cambodia. And I was never a SEAL. All I did was fly them around. I was like their taxi driver. But I was in with them right up to my ears. And you call a SEAL and say, uh, he wants to be picked up, and he wants to be picked up right now. And sometimes you can't pick him up. Sometimes they pick him up with a hoist because the trees can't land. You know, helicopters can't land in tiny little spaces. You've got to have room enough to get your rotor system in there and get it back out again without hitting a tree and killing everybody. So I call him in and say, uh, is the landing zone hot? And he's whispering into a foam microphone. He's holding over his mouth, and he whispers, Not yet. (laughs) Thanks a bunch. So, but we got him in. We got him out. And uh, it was a hairy time 41 years ago. Let's see. 44 years ago. 44 years ago. I was over there. 44 years ago today. And, uh, it was a hairy time. Never been an operation like that before or since for the Navy. And the Sea Wolves, I flew with the Sea Wolves, and we're invited to all SEAL reunions. You can't buy a beer because all the young SEALs were told about what happened back then. Kind of a motivational thing. And the old SEALs look like the rest of us, you know, they're old guys. I was born before World War II, and some of the SEALs I worked with were born before World War II. And they're a bunch of no-nonsense guys. I love them. They love us. 
because they would have hung it all out for us and vice versa. The unique thing is brotherhood of special forces. I was never in the special forces. I was never a SEAL. We, we were involved in special operations and the support thereof. That's what we did. So let's see what time it is. Gotta check my turn my ringer off of my phone here. Nine fifty nine. About time to wind this thing down. We'll talk a little more about Muslim terrorism in Maine we'll talk next week. And we'll talk a little more about fuel and uh, a little more about the international economy because what the Swiss did is going to echo around the world as people decouple their currencies from failing currencies. Nobody can predict. We have never had a situation like this in, in the history of mankind. Tick, 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 tick. What happened? Nobody knows exactly when, but as Confucius said, may you live in interesting times. here from my shut off here. So let me call that back up again. Take a couple of seconds to do this. There it is. So bouncing around here on the screen verifying this stuff. Everything I tell you is the truth. Some of its opinion, not much Mostly, mostly facts. And this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine, broadcast today in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, WBCQ, 94.7 in Monticello, all the way down to Danforth, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook, 88.1 FM in Orono, 96.5 FM in Boer, Bangor, Maine. Today is Friday, the 16th of January, and this has been the 129th Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network. Kind of a milestone. I didn't realize it was that many. I know it's more than two years. Be careful out there. Be prepared for the cold. Blue sky, sunshine. Good weekend. Three-day weekend this weekend. So some people have the day off Monday. Most people, a lot of people in Maine are going to work all three days. Try to get some time to get out and enjoy the Maine outdoors. And most of the ponds and lakes are safe. you got Moosehead and a few others that aren't safe. But uh, the coves are icing over. Keep your trucks off the lake, folks. Give it a chance to really stiffen up. Be safe. God bless. Wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him, thank God for the renegades and the lions they lead. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.